0: Hey, founders, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Josh Reedy, CEO and founder of Thread, an autonomous inspection platform that's raised roughly 20 million in funding. Josh, thanks for having with me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Brett.
0: Not a problem. Super excited for this conversation. So, to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you
1: are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Dr. Josh Reedy. I founded Thread with co founders uh, Dr. Jim Higgins, who's an aviator. Dr. Travis Desell is a computer scientist, and we met, of all places, at the University of North Dakota while creating software for FedEx that they use to this day. Building on that experience, we focused our efforts on digitizing energy assets, such as wind turbines, power lines, working with a large utility in the Midwest, XL Energy. That combination really was enabled through Microsoft's TechSpark program, which is to spark technology innovation away from the coast, and we got our start. I got my first $100,000 in from none other than Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, which has propelled us to where we're at, which is North Dakota's second Series A company. How'd you get Brad Smith to give you hundred K? You know, it's a funny story, Brett. I mentioned the TechSpark program a moment ago, and Brad Smith, to kick that off, came to Fargo, North Dakota and provided a TED Talk. And afterward, I got a call if I wanted to meet Brad after the TED Talk and and almost one of those situations where you think it's a prank call. But lo and behold, Brad took almost 90 minutes of his time, went through deeply into the business plan. And believe it or not, that was a shot of courage that I needed, especially having recently quit my day job and focused all my effort in making this company come to fruition. What do you think Brad saw in you and your co-founders? You know, I'd like to believe he saw the very best, but the guidance he gave me is that it is a space worthy of occupying and not to be afraid to dream big, even if that big idea comes from North Dakota of all places. And that's really stuck with me to this day that don't be afraid to dream big. Don't be afraid to go for it because great companies come from all places.
0: Who was your inspiration that you know, led to the idea to think to start a tech company? You know, myself, I, I spent a lot of time in Michigan when I was younger, and, and then Wisconsin, and I didn't even know that Silicon Valley existed. In the idea venture backed <laughs> game, I had no idea that world even existed until I was probably like 23 or 24 years old. So I don't know if it was similar for you, but that's my question: is it where did you learn about this tech ecosystem and the idea that you should start a tech company?
1: Yeah, you know that's a great question, Brett, and. That has two sides to the equation. One is my late paternal grandfather and my father and my father's older brother, whom I knew as grown men that had visible scars. And those scars came from my grandfather working on a power generator because they didn't have electricity delivered to their ranch. And while working on that, it exploded and burnt he and and my father and my uncle very badly. And so in turn, he took the effort to start the area's first power cooperative and was the first and only board chairman for 40 years. And so growing up with a man that had that type of passion to make something that went terribly wrong right through life experience really just drove me. But later in life, if you're from the region, then you know the name Doug Bergum. Doug happens to be running for president as well. Doug is a governor, Doug is an incredible success story, but what most people knew Doug from was his business acumen with his company, Great Plains Software, being acquired by Microsoft. I'll get the year wrong, but, but roughly 2000, and I believe at the time, it was Microsoft's largest acquisition. So having a billion dollar exit in the state of North Dakota to Microsoft of all places, and then Microsoft investing a lot of time and effort in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, that just left an indelible mark on me as an aspiring technician and someone that eventually knew they were enough of a black sheep to take this journey. But as that time approached, reading more about him, getting to meet him as an individual, that had a profound impact on me. What's the tech ecosystem like right now in North Dakota? How would you summarize it? You know, I would say that North Dakota is a well-kept secret that others are learning about. Having a governor like Burgum and having a state sovereign wealth fund that is largely modeled after Norway's sovereign wealth fund, having those oil dollars put to good use, moving away from a commodity-driven economy, it's a great place. And there are Many entrepreneurs that are getting their start in North Dakota today, because it's a very friendly environment, happy to talk more about that, but it is a markedly different place from where I began in 2018. And if it weren't for Brad Smith's blessing, I'm not sure I'd be here today, but those that have followed in my footsteps that are founders in North Dakota today have a vastly different environment that is hugely supportive and it's going to be fun to watch that mature. That's amazing. I look forward to hopefully chatting with a lot more founders from North Dakota. I would have to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think we're like 400. We are rare right now. This one, you are the first founder from North Dakota, I believe. We've had a few from uh, Omaha. I'm trying to think where else. But yeah,
1: I think you're the first from North Dakota. Glad to be the first.
0: Now, another question I'd like to ask is about books, and we got this from an author named Brian Holiday, and he calls them quick books. So a quick book is a book that, like, rocks at your core, really influences how you think about
1: the world and, and how you approach life. Do any quick books come to mind? Absolutely. And it's a quick movie, too, Brett. If you think about Leonardo DiCaprio, who is only seven days younger than me, the movie that he got his Academy Award for was called The Revenant. And actually, in that movie, he is attacked by a bear. And where that attack happened uh, is miles away from where I grew up. So that movie became popular to the rest of the world. But as a child growing up, uh, there's the book The Revenant and another book that's on the same topic called Lord Grizzly. And those were books that, as children, we were made to read. And that book... And then the movie always inspired never giving up, um, never succumbing to the odds, doing what others might think is almost superhuman. And so that book is my go-to for inspiration. You can watch the movie, but coming from that area and and watching that all come together, even since a young child, that was was a huge motivator. Have you had any encounters with bears? You know, I had never seen a bear. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think they exist where we're at any longer. All right, that's good to know that you're not in, in
0: danger every day when you walk outside of a, a bear attack. Yeah, I no. watched that movie and it's uh it's pretty gnarly. Isn't it? Like the first hour he doesn't even speak a word. It's just him basically right.
1: attacked. Right. And they embellished a little bit in that movie, but if you read the book and know the true story and and know what the terrain is like, the fact that that was based upon a true story is just incredible. It shows what the human will can overcome.
0: That's amazing. And I'll, I'll, definitely have to check out the book. The books are always just so much better than the movies. So excited. Yes,
1: to now. yes for sure. Let's
0: switch gears. Now let's dive a bit deeper into Thread and, and what you're doing there and, and how we like to start this is
1: really focusing on the problem. So what problem does Thread solve? Another experience that I had with the electrical cooperative that my grandfather founded, I believe the year was 2013 and there was an October ice storm that literally broke every power pole in that region. And people were out of power, not for days, not for weeks, but for months. It was catastrophic. That just led me to believe that how sorry my grandfather would have seen to see that, but that that industry of all industries needed modern tooling to make their jobs safer, but frankly, to allow you to manage that vast array of assets far more efficiently. And when that was applied at a greater scale, when I had the opportunity due to the very small network effect of the region to work with Excel Energy, that was something I jumped at because it was refreshing to hear a forward thinking utility like Excel express a problem that I had seen individually. And it just struck a chord with me to wanna help them create a set of tools that could serve their customers better, especially at times of need, like natural disasters or outages and and very cold stretches of the the year, such as the winter in North Dakota. And then what are some of those broader use cases that you offer with the platform? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll use an analogy. There is a company that with your Wisconsin roots, you may well be familiar with, Epic. And Epic really created the electronic medical records industry and digitized healthcare as we know it today. If you think about that, the record of your health is a combination of many different inputs, your x-rays, your MRI results, your blood work, any other diagnostic tests, the prescriptions that you have, the physician notes that you have, that comes together and represents your health. If you think about it in that terms, swap a human out for a large asset, like a power line or a wind turbine, or a solar panel, or even a nuclear plant for that matter. There is a much better way for our nation and our world to maintain the criticality of resources like uh, utility and energy. And the best way to do that is to bring digitization. So what that means is first being able to create a record that lives outside of a human's mind and is in a place that can be easily referenced. And if you think about the analogy of an electronic medical record, instead of a physician, you have engineers, but those engineers are most often hundreds or thousands of miles away from the site. What you have on the site is management and you have frontline workers. And so enabling those frontline workers to perform some of the diagnostic tests, like gathering imagery uh, specific to an asset or a particular component of an asset, is very helpful when the engineers are trying to diagnose problems from afar. And having a common repository for that information is vital. And so if you think about Thread, it is a new product category that's really a mashup of ERP solutions, asset performance management solutions in particular, like SAP, mashed up with robotics. And it's a very unique combination, but it's an enabling combination that allow our customers to use their existing workforce and bring that tool into the way that they do business now to perform work that has been conducted since post-World War II, but to do it far more safer, far more efficiently and to know more information about their assets than ever before, which comes at a wonderful time when the energy grid is modernizing. Wow, super fascinating. On the topic of EPIC, I
0: I do know that just from a talk I recently watched. Have you seen uh, the all-in talk from Bill
1: Gurley? I have not. I would love to do that, though. I've heard of it.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. It's like a, a pretty brutal takedown on uh, on regulatory capture. And he calls out Epic specifically and some of the moves that they had made with, I believe it was Obamacare, and, and how they were able to basically structure it away that, yeah, they were uh, the best option in the market to buy, which was a, a very savvy move. But I think he said that he would give them the award for the, the best regulatory capture in history.
1: Well, you know what? I hope we follow in their footsteps with the Inflation Reduction Act because for those that are insiders, the order of magnitude change within utilities as they move from a a largely a fossil fuel driven, hugely operating intensive business model to a renewables predominant model that has hugely uh, capex. It's a profound shift a dare I say a generational shift that those utilities need better tools than they have right now. And I feel like thread is in a perfect position to make that a reality. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and
0: grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast, I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. When it comes to the actual data collection piece, how is that typically done? So for us who are you know, from this industry, we don't know how this world works, what's the status quo look like?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a great place to start and a great question to ask. If you would come to this area and we'll start with wind sites, Uh, If you would drive along the interstate from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to the Canadian border, you would see a number of wind turbines. You would find Thread being operated at most of those wind turbines as just another tool in those wind technicians' trucks or service vehicles that they can use. And so we have streamlined the use of data capture, be it cell phones or predominantly drones, to be something that literally anyone can use. And we do that because it's very important that they have that tool to use when they need to use it, which sometimes is very inconvenient. But it's what the situation calls for to ensure that small problems don't become large problems and large problems don't become uh, catastrophic problems. And so it's another tool that they can operate with the push of a button. And it's not just capturing data, but the ability to interface the data with an existing network, sometimes in very desolate areas that that cellular communication is non-existent, is equally important because these people are really harvesting data at scale about these asset types and able to relay that and transfer that to stakeholders like engineers and managers in a very seamless fashion that practically anyone can do. And that's a secret sauce that Threads offer of really empowering those frontline workers because if you don't do that, you lose timeliness. The industry is dominated by third-party services that show up once a year. And while I applaud them for the work that they do, that is not the solution the business needs. They need tools to use when duty calls. An uh, analogy I love to give is, is your car. If you took your automobile into the shop once a year, and the very next day you had a problem, you certainly wouldn't drive 364 more days and hope for the best. Now apply that to these large assets that our well-being, our civilization relies upon, and we don't want to take those chances and neither of those utilities. Who
0: stands to be disrupted here if and when bread is a wild success? Is there a legacy industry that's going to be completely just Annihilated when this technology becomes adopted, or, or what does that look like?
1: You know, that's the beauty breath that. If anyone's gonna be displaced, I think service companies are displaced, but the beauty is we are setting a standard of how inspections and data should be captured. Meaning that once that standard is is established through automation, anyone can use that. So I don't believe we have to displace anyone. For large scale operations once a year, third party services, that's their, their core value, their core job, and they do it really well but having the same tooling left behind that a technician can use on an as needed basis is a perfect scenario. And what we're able to do is really empower those frontline workers, many of which are unionized as a force multiplier and making their job drastically safer. As an example in wind turbines, what used to be necessary to inspect a turbine was a three person crew repelling down turbines that are 80 meters in height. That is unconscionable anymore. And what that job was, let's say three or four years ago today with a thread solution on demand is a one person job in roughly 20 minutes. Huge, huge increase in efficiency, but also a huge, huge increase in safety for those individuals. That makes a lot of sense. What about your first paying customers? How did you pull that off? <laughs>
0: Obviously that's something that all startup founders struggle with, but especially with what you're dealing with, it's not a little widget they just add to the website. It's not an email marketing tool. This is deep tech. This is serious stuff. So how do you get those first customers to say, Yep, I trust Josh, he can pull it out?
1: How'd you make that? I, happen? I love the way you phrase that, Brett, because you touched on something really important. It is deep tech, but it's critical. We cannot make mistakes. Mistakes lead to lives. And I take that seriously maybe it's the Midwesterner in me, but a novel approach. We were the first startup to build a co-development arrangement with XL Energy, who takes great pride in our relationship being another form of, of rural economic development. But what that meant, Brett, is we had to earn the business. XL Energy did not retain any intellectual property, but they also didn't give us money to do it. We worked with them to understand their problems in a way that I don't know of any other company that has done. And we invested a tremendous amount of time and then we had to prove it. We identified the problem, we identified a path to a solution and we didn't get paid until we proved it, Brett, but we did that and it didn't come overnight. It came from many years of hard work but by earning that business with Xcel Energy, utilities are a very unique market. It is a fast follower, close-knit, heavy influence market. And so all of that work for XL isn't just for one company. It's for a company that spans five states, ranging from the Canadian border to the Mexican border. And so really, we had the opportunity to establish strong product market fit. To make sure our products were spot on with one customer, but one very large customer that allows us to pivot and sell into the market as a whole with far more velocity than our peers would have due to that deep relationship.
0: If we look at the market, just
1: like so an understanding of what that looks like, how many utility providers are there
0: in the United States?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. So there's two sides to a coin, Brett. There are the nonprofits or the cooperatives that, similar to my grandfather, founded. And those represent roughly half of the market from a user perspective. The rest of the market and where we currently place our focus is generally investor-owned utilities that comprise the Edison Electrical Institute. And if I'm not mistaken, those Institute members number, I believe in the 60s, but the market as a whole is roughly 800 entities in the United States. Mm, Got it. Super, super interesting. How have you seen your messaging evolve over time? Has it been the same since you started or? <laughs> uh, yeah, I laugh a little bit because that has been a journey uh, as a founder, all the things that we don't know, we are actually, we rebranded recently from air to thread. And the reason we did that to answer your question, Brett is to bit more comprehensively and more easily tell our story. We are the thread that spans an entire organization or an entire utility, in this case, across all their assets. We are that common thread across their organization in the aim of building a comprehensive digital representation of their physical assets. And we really had to start with the customer and what the customer needed, but we've learned over time to be less deliberate in explaining exactly what our customer need and to relate more to the market, relate more to the prospects of what red can mean from an investment perspective. And what that is, is really, I'll go back to the mashup between robotics and ERP. That really leaves us in no man's land. Uh, speaking frankly, we do not have competition. There is a space to void to your earlier question that is a huge market opportunity. But what that means is it's also difficult to describe that because you're really speaking to two sides of a coin. And so that's still a work in progress, Brett, but the best thing that we can do is share the results of, of what our customers are finding through case studies. And through that, we are developing a vernacular that is specific to the market, but yet relatable to investors.
0: Something else I want to ask about is is funding. And I saw on your website, I think it was uh, earlier today, or I don't know when it was actually announced, but I saw that Kevin O'Leary had invested. So anyone listening in probably knows who he is, or you know, at least <laughs> so take us behind the scenes. What was that deal like and what's it like, you know, engaging with uh,
1: Kevin O'Leary? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked. And um it's been great to meet Kevin and his team, Paul and Matt and David. As I mentioned earlier. North Dakota is becoming a a thriving ecosystem from entrepreneurs, even though it's overlooked and it's little known. That changes with people like Kevin O'Leary taking notice and coming to the state. And I won't pretend to know the origins of that, but Kevin was able to meet the governor and meet members of the state and took an interest in the entrepreneurial spirit that resides within this ecosystem. And so as a startup, one of our challenges, it was being from the Midwest during a pandemic, you can function in relative stealth without trying. And so people like Kevin O'Leary taking notice, which one of his best investments on Shark Tank is a company that was from Fargo. Maybe that's where the tie came in. But, um, when they stated their intention, they wanted to begin working with North Dakota companies. We got an introduction early on. We were able to work with Paul and Matt and and David and his team. And then I had the the luxury of meeting Kevin and talk about a stand up guy. It's when we had our first retreat where we brought our entire team to Fargo, North Dakota in March of all times, the dead of winter. But it was really entertaining to be able to cross paths with Kevin and the team in the same hotel for the better part of two days. And that's what really solidified the investment soon after. And Kevin and his team have great faith in where we're going. And it really, again, similar to Brad Smith, been another step forward in in us as a team and and myself as a founder, gaining confidence and momentum within a unique market position. Who else is on the cap table that's famous? You got Brad Smith, you got Kevin (laughs) O'Leary,
0: are you just the master here at getting these celebrity investors to join us?
1: Yeah, that's about it. I wish I had say any others, but those two have really left a mark on me in particular as a founder, but our company it sounds like you have some ties there to Leonardo DiCaprio, the movie, so maybe he'll- Yeah, watch. and if Leonardo's in, I hope he's listening. I hope he wants to invest in, in uh, the namesake of the Revenant and uh, and for a great cause, which is renewables and utilities. So we're we're all ears if, if Leonardo wants to give us a call. Yeah, he's one of our most
0: engaged listeners, so he's, he's definitely listening in. <laughs> <laughs> now, Josh, let's imagine you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice you'd give
1: yourself? When I pause and I reflect, it's almost embarrassing, Brett, how little I knew as a founder. I better appreciate today than ever before why investors like second-time founders. And I read something that was unique, that that one of the best prospects is the second-time founder who didn't succeed the first time. And while I hope I don't fit into that category, I can very much appreciate that. Uh, specific to your question, coming from the part of a country that did not have much VC activity, especially at the time, I believe circa 2018, less than one half of 1% of domestic VC came to the Midwest. If you can imagine how small that number was in North Dakota, it was virtually non-existent. And so having an ecosystem that would support us at that time was great. But yet what I really needed to do at that time was branch out and widen uh, my network. Unfortunately, that is about when the pandemic occurred. And so it, it was really, you know, driving a startup forward in a bubble, if you will. And so I'm trying to make up for lost time by understanding the industry. But for me, it would be developing a network faster and more robust and something that Microsoft and TechSpark have been great in helping. I call it the exchange program for geographically disadvantaged founders, but being able to connect with the Seattle area has been wonderful to make up for lost time. So I would say the network effect, if I could do that all over without a pandemic, would very much put a lot of effort into that to learn the things more quickly versus the hard way. And I think the second piece of very simple advice I give to founders is when you are young, make the most and best use out of Y Combinator and Techstars and all of the documents they have that if you can't use one of their templates, you're probably involved in a legal situation or an agreement situation that is too complex for your stage of, com- or of uh, development.
0: <laughs> Love that advice. Now, final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that
1: you're building here? If I step back, There is a generational opportunity, Brett. And and what that's brought by is utilities making the pivot into renewables and making a pivot away from large opex, which was fossil fuels and uranium to produce power. The huge capital investments that are being done over a span of 20 to 30 years with power purchase agreements with the likes of everyone from utilities to brands like Gap to the Walmarts of the world. So they're front selling that energy to be able to fund those projects. A very long way of saying that industry is going through a change that is profound and will drive us as a society forward for the next 50 years. Being at the precipice of that change and having digitization occur in a way that only another utility could create, which is Excel. I didn't mention something about them, but I think it's something that's worthy and not a coincidence. Excel's CEO at the time sat on the Bloomberg stage in 2018, and that was the first utility to declare carbon-free by 2050. That is the same year I quit my day job to begin working with them to create this maintenance strategy. What we've coiled on since 2018 is coming to fruition. And when it comes to fruition, Brett, what EPIC is to electronic medical records, I do believe Thread will be to the digitization of our nation's utilities and energy and perhaps even DOD to follow. So that space being occupied by Thread with a new product category is where I intend for us to be in that time frame. Amazing.
0: I love the vision and I've really enjoyed this conversation. We are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in and they
1: just want to follow along with your company building journey, where should they go? You know, check us out on Thread.one. I am not a prolific poster, but feel free to reach out on LinkedIn and uh, connect with me. Happy to spend the time that I can sharing with founders and, and a huge supporter of those that are trying to make a go of things. Amazing. I love it, Josh. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Brett.